0: Good morning. It's an honor and a privilege and a great blessing for me to be back in my home state once again, and especially here at Graceland. I remember when uh, when I was first called to be the executive director here in Indiana, one of the things that excited me the most was the friendship that I already had with the pastor here at Graceland and the church of Graceland because of the Influence that, that you have all across the state of Indiana and this part of southeast Indiana, not just here, but around the world. And, uh, and as I served in that position, I grew more and more to appreciate uh, this great congregation and all that you do for God's kingdom work. Uh, you, your staff, you were all such a great encouragement to us. And I just want to say thank you for that. And I want you to know I'm praying for you as you uh, uh, contemplate this decision regarding Pastor Larry. What a great guy he is and uh, praying for him as well that the Lord will give clarity to him and to you as you discern God's will in this matter. And uh, So I'll be excited to hear how how everything goes next week uh, when you guys gather together again. Um, I want to just read a couple of passages of scripture this morning as we get started. The first one is out of John 21, verses 1 through 3. John 21, verses 1 through 3. In this passage, um, here's what John recorded. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, From Cain of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and the two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And then a passage out of Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Acts 5, verses 12 through 15. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. And by common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers in crowds of both men and women. And as a result... They would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on beds and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. I read those two passages to highlight the influence of Simon Peter in those early days in the formation of the church following the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven eventually. Now maybe you remember a poem from when you were a little child. Those of you that are older might remember this poem. I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me and what can be the use of it is more than I can see. Well, what about that unsubstantial nothing? That shadow that is cast on the ground when the sun hits us. You know, um, Mahatma Gandhi, was a very thin, frail man. But his influence was so great that people would position the sick and themselves when he would pass by hoping that his thin shadow would just fall across them because they believed that in his shadow there would be a blessing. In, In India, the shadow of an outcast is believed that if it falls over someone's food, they have to throw it away because they think that shadow contaminated their food. Well, the scripture tells us that Simon Peter cast a shadow. And people thought it contained healing power. They had already seen things happen and under the ministry of the apostles and under the ministry of Simon Peter. And, and so they thought, well, if we can just position ourselves where his shadow will fall over us, then... We'll be healed from whatever it is that that they've got. And Simon Peter said to the disciples, uh, I'm going fishing. They said, We're going to go too. That's influence. I I want to ask you this morning how long is your shadow? Because every single one of us in here, we cast a shadow. We cast a shadow of either blessing or blight or healing or hurt. But we all cast a shadow of influence. You know, one person, I've learned this over the years, one person in an organization can make or break that organization or a group or an office or even a home. It's called influence. Individuals have influence and churches have influence. You as a church have a great influence in the state of Indiana and beyond. And my prayer for you is that you will continue to have that great influence and that your influence would increase because I believed when I was here, and I still believe this about this great church, that that you cast a tremendous shadow of influence when it comes to evangelizing the state of Indiana where 75% of the people are lost. That you cast a great shadow of influence over Indiana through the worship experience that you have. There's so much churches could learn from you and other staff members across the state could learn from you. You have great influence, and I'm praying that influence continues to expand. And I want to suggest four things to you this morning about influence for you to think about. Number one, influence is never neutral. Your influence is never neutral. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. He said, anyone who is not with me is against me. In other words, Jesus didn't give us the option of being neutral. And yet there are so many Christians that that's the kind of life they want to live. They want to live a, a neutral life, a life that's not casting influence one direction or the other. But the reality is there is no such thing as being neutral. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. He said in Matthew 6:24, no one can serve two masters since he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. You can't, be, you can't do both. In Galatians 1.10, the apostle Paul wrote, for I am trying to win the favor, for am I trying to win the favor of people or God? Am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. You see, that, You see what he's saying? He's saying, my life cannot be neutral when it comes to my relationship to Jesus Christ. If I'm just trying to please people, then I'm not going to please God. I've I've got to please one or I've got to please the other. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, 1 through 6, then God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. And that little preposition in the Hebrew, besides, means beside me, in front of me, behind me. In other words, there's only one God. So don't have any others besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You get the picture, folks. In in the mind of God, in the mind of Jesus, there is no such thing as a neutral position in the Christian life. So don't go to school thinking that you know you can, you can just uh, sort of ride the fence. Jesus doesn't give you that option. Don't go to the office thinking that you can just be neutral. Jesus doesn't give you that that option. Your influence is never, ever neutral. I'm going fishing. Well, we're going to come with you. Simon Peter had influence. The second thing I want you to consider about your influence is this, that influence is mostly unconscious. Have you ever heard something come out of one of your children's mouths and you, immediately you get on them and you think, where on earth did you hear that? And all of a sudden it dawns on you, you know where they heard it, right? They heard it from you. Somebody said that life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. And influence is like your shadow. Your influence is subtle and it's silent. And most of the time, we have no idea about the influence that we're casting on others around us. So influence is pretty much invisible. But there are times as parents when we try to exert conscious influence on our children. And we'll do it in spurts. Particularly when they do something wrong, then we'll sit them down and we'll give them a speech. But I want you to know what's really talking is not our words, but it's our casual conversations. It's what they're really catching on to, is not our occasional spurts, but our day-to-day spirits. Too often. I said this a pastor for a number of years, too often what the church is trying to do in one day a week in the life of children and youth is undone by mom and dad every single day of the rest of the week. Example, I want you to understand this, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing, the only thing. How many times have we soiled God's world with language that has scorched Little ears. They shouldn't have heard it. How many times have we injured our testimonies by things little eyes should not have seen? How many times have youth or children been turned off to church by loose talk around a dinner table or by adults acting unchristian in a church business meeting? Casual conversation. Who gets hurt in that? Well it's, it's pastors, it's Sunday school teachers, it's Bible study leaders, it's deacons, it's elders, it's police officers, it's the church, it's the classroom, it's our country to get hurts by that. Remember what Dobson said, that values are caught more than they are taught. And folks, I just want to remind you, not only is our influence never neutral, but most of the time it is unconscious. We have no idea about the influence we're casting on others. Thirdly, influence is almost immortal. In other words, it just just lives on. Have you ever seen cast a a rock into a pool and then you watch the ripples sort of go out? Influence is like that. Tennyson has Ulysses say, I am a part of all that I have met. And Jesus chose influence as the way to reach the world. He, He created a human network when he said to those disciples, go And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. What would he say? Go out and make disciples. That's influencing people's lives. Do you realize that 85% of the people who come to a church, who join a church, who come to Christ, do so because someone like you invited them to come? Do you realize that? That's influence. That's influence. That's how we're going to win the world to Christ. We're, we're living in a day and time right now, especially during election time. Everybody wants it. There was a, a guy standing on a street corner across from Krispy Kreme and McDonald's in, in Pensacola, Florida. When I, and I drove by there the other day. There was a guy holding a sign, I'm so-and-so, and I want to be your mayor. Now, I guess if you really want people to see you, that's the place to get close to Krispy Kreme and McDonald's, right? <laughs> But everybody wants to promote themselves, and they're trying, to, they're trying to exert influence on people to vote, right? Our influence is mostly unconscious, though. We're not aware of it. And influence is almost immortal. In Acts 17, verse 6, here's what Jesus said about those disciples, that he chose to create this human network to influence the world to salvation. They said, these men, talking about the apostles, they have turned the world upside down. And I like to say they were turning their world right side up, not upside down. It's impossible to influence others to live on a higher level than that on which you live. If you're a leader in this church you're an elder in this church, you're a pastor, you're a staff member, the church will never rise above its staff and its leadership. And I've said for years, the church mirrors the leadership. If the leadership are together, the church will be together. If the leadership are, are fragmented, the church will be fragmented. That's influence. Influence is almost immortal. And finally, influence is irrevocable. Once you've said something you can't call back those words. Once you've done something that you know you shouldn't have done and others become aware of it, you can't can't undo it. You can't call it back. What what do churches desperately need today? I think our churches need men and women who will take their testimonies seriously. That they'll recognize how important it is to be responsible examples for the children and the youth who are coming up behind us. Men and women who understand how vital it is to be good role models for students in Bible study, as sponsors on mission trips or camp, minding their tongues at church and in the home, and just simply being faithful, godly examples of devotion to Jesus Christ in their lives. Because if your Christianity doesn't work at home, then don't export it, right? I'll never forget the Sunday that there was a gentleman that came forward in uh, in a worship service in a church that we were serving, and he and he was emotionally just pretty much uncontrollable. And so, um, one of our staff members, one of our deacons, took him back to our new member reception area to let him calm down a little bit and. And then to talk with him, try to find out what's going on, and so forth. And when the service was dismissed, I went back to check on him. I'll never forget what he told me. I said, "Why are you? Why? What? What's going on with your with you today?" And he said, "Pastor, he said, I, I just I was working out on my car in the driveway yesterday, and uh, my little nine-year-old son." Something came out of his mouth that shouldn't have come out of his mouth. And he said, I knew where, he, where he'd come from. He had heard it from me. But I looked at him and I said, son, you're not going to talk like that. From now on, you're start going to start going to church and you're start, going to start going to Sunday school. He said, but my son bristled. And he said, no, I'm not. He said, I said, well, why not? He said, because you don't. That's what it took to get that father's attention. He came to church that day and he got saved that day. And he started bringing his family to church. And it was about three months later, we baptized him and his nine-year-old son and eventually the whole family. Influence. How long is your shadow? I want you to contemplate that, not just as an individual, but contemplate that this morning as a church, that influence is never neutral, it's mostly unconscious, it's almost immortal, and it's irrevocable. Once it goes out, you can't call it back.